0: This podcast is brought to you by Upcase. Want to become the sort of developer top rail shops like ThoughtBot fight over? Join Upcase today to get the pro training, insider knowledge, access to ThoughtBot developers, and a community of like-minded learners you need. Hone core skills like Vim, Tmux, Git, and Rails by visiting upcase.com slash to get 50% off your first month of Upcase. Let's get that junior out of your title and start leveling up today with Upcase how was your halloween
1: i I moved on halloween (laughs) i insisted on still giving out candy though to the kids in my neighborhood and tess got really mad at me were you just Uh,
0: standing in the street handing out candy without a home
1: no no we finished moving by the time it was kids come to your doorstep o'clock but you know we just had to get candy and we were both really tired but Tess was, like, passed out on the couch, and every time kids would come, up, I'd be like, Tess, you're missing a really adorable five-year-old Iron Man right now.
0: <laughs> we, we went out down the street from us. We found the neighborhood. After many years of living where we live, we finally found, like, the right neighborhood to go trick-or-treating in, and uh, there, was one, there were two houses that gave out full-size candy bars in this neighborhood, and then there was one house that gave out king-size candy bars, which I have never, in all my 35 years, ever seen before. So I don't, my five-year-old and three-year-old kids did not appreciate it the way they should have. In fact, (laughs) my three-year-old, when presented with a tray full of full-size candy bars to choose from, chose Necco wafers, which is like, you can't, you can't make a more wrong choice. Like, I feel bad for him. Like, when I explain that this happened to him, he's going to feel like, in years from now, when I explain that this happened to him, he's going to feel like he missed one of a few of those opportunities his entire life. Just whiffed.
1: Did you immediately de- demand a paternity test
0: after this happened? <laughs> I was really like, he'd already grabbed them, and I wanted to be like, no, not Necco wafers. <laughs> you have no idea how much you will regret this You're decision. You're not actually going to eat this stuff. I'm going to eat that, and I don't want Neko wafers.
1: <laughs> Hi, Derek.
0: Hello, Sean. Uh, What's going on?
1: Moving mm. and not much else.
0: Okay. I've been getting settled into the new project that I talked about uh, a couple episodes ago. Now, I think it has been interesting. It's another another project where I feel like the last handful of my projects have all been ostensibly about performance. People are interested in making performance better. I think that's the last three or four of the projects I've done. I know I did performance work for Upcase. I did performance work for a couple clients before that. Um, so I've got rails performance on my mind and like when i'm drilling into these like whenever from from the outside when somebody's like we need you we need you to help us with performance i'm always like oh this is going to be great here's what i'm going to do i'm going to go in i'm going to find a bunch of n plus one query problems and i'm just going to solve those with includes and that's going to get better i'm going to find missing indexes in the database i'm going to solve those and put the indexes in the database that's going to get better and then maybe i'll get to do some cool front-end stuff like i'll do some caching i'll do so i'll do a cdn whatever 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 And it never turns out that easy. (laughs) No? No, not at all. Like, the n plus one query problem is real everywhere. Everybody has the n plus one query problem. But then what, like, on this particular project, and it's not unique at all, they have an n plus one query problem that's caused by shared global state, right? So solving, it's not caused by shared global state, but it's an n plus one query derived from shared global state. So solving this n plus one problem is just going to create an Ex, like extra eager loads in some other places, okay. Because they're all calling like basically the same shared before filter and setting the same shared instance variable that gets used throughout views.
1: What if they just didn't do that?
0: Yeah, that's the that's the thing I'm I'm starting to do is like. Unfortunately, it's not like you would see. You know, you might have a control a base controller that has like an order method, and that is like at order or equals like memoize the at order instance variable to order dot find params id right that's that's like a very simple memo memoization if you if that was the problem i would just unravel that everywhere right but it's not that there's some business logic tied in to the finding as well and various points where they create an order if one doesn't already exist like that type of thing
1: could each of the controllers using this thing implement some other method that says what to eager load and then the before filter calls that
0: that's what i'm getting to so like i extract i started by extracting like um uh, this application is really big, and it could be—it could actually be several applications. But right now, it's one application, and as we've discussed in the show before, I'm kind of keen to keep it that way for a while until we clean things up and can tell where the real lines are. So, what I did was I have like this is the store part of the application, like the basically the the, the front end that the users see. So, I extracted a find order service object in the store module, and like right now, that's just order.find and then there's any number of places the parameter can come from which is a little bit complicated like it can come from a cookie it can come from the parameter it can come from the session so it it handles all that and then my plan as i start refactoring my way to have all the controllers properly use this object is to then have like a template method where you can a couple template methods that you have to implement on your controller which is like basically what do you want to what like what's the base relationship that you want to call find on so you can mm-hmm. pass in like order.includes and then all the things you want or just order um, if you just want to straight order find. And then also, what's the other bit I wanted to inject? There was something else. Oh, a strategy for what happens when the order is not found, right? Do you want to fall back and create a new order or do you want to, you know, raise the active record not found or whatever other strategy you might want to do? So that's kind of where I'm going with it, but there's like it's not like just this one memoized help one memorized controller method that's causing problems there's layers of them that interact with each other there's instance variables that are like the order of the before filters that get called in these controllers is expected to not change right so they will use an instance variable in one before filter that is assumed to have been set up in the previous before filter <laughs> Yeah, it's painful. But you like I can see how this happens, right? It's like Yeah. I don't know. You can see how it happens. So I'm trying to like get around it and make it so that there are first fewer before filters that ever get called, right? Just a handful, hopefully, at that most. Like extracting things out to middleware, extracting things out like that are actually like a whole request thing, you know, combining things into service objects, stuff like
1: Explicitly that. Explicitly calling things Explicitly when you need it. Explicitly
0: calling things when you need it, that type of stuff. Um yeah. So like all of this, I've been doing this project for like 3 weeks now and I feel fi- like I fixed a couple performance problems like things where they were doing like um I don't know, this is just an example would be like user.find params id or contact dot or I guess it would be user.find params id or user.find by slug params id, right? Okay. So it would be doing two queries in the case where you were finding by slug instead of just doing an or um, right with the sequel so we did the or with the sequel string which made me want to be like oh i really wish rails 5 or rails 4 3 got released that had this or there's That's a gem there. that backports it is there mm-hmm because hmm. i was thinking like caleb and i were talking about this how we really wish we could have that now and we were both like maybe we should just backport it but if there is already a gem to backport it then that should probably be something that I check, a, take a look at, because we did that pretty successfully on the T1D project, right? Like,
1: yeah, uh, the thing with the Relation or is that it's implemented. Like, I don't know if you've if you ever looked at the actual commit that finally added it, but the commit is really tiny because it's built on a humongous refactoring I did to how Relation is structured in Rails five. So like, the code couldn't be backported directly, but presumably this gem. Does something that isn't backporting all of those ref- all of that refactoring work as well? Mm.
0: Yeah, that I have to take a look at that. And the other the other thing when I was thinking about or and I was talking to it about Caleb. Another when we were talking about inconsistencies in our last show, that was our last show, right? I am talking about the inconsistencies of the of the update API. Yes, yeah, so that was um, our last show. Another thing that jumped out at me was like or right? So or I pointed like somebody gave an example of how it would be nice to use or, and then you'd pass in this hash of conditionals. I was like, no that's not how or works right right so,
1: or it takes another relation
0: right so it was like okay well that's great it actually makes it read a lot better that way like or and then you provide another relation you give you give it a name scope basically right but then not doesn't <laughs> not is explicitly the other way um it does not take a relation in any form it just takes a hash
1: right well and this is ultimately the problem and this is Partially, why we, or ultimately needed to always take a relation is that we're using other objects as stand ins for a predicate. And, like, if we had a ARL style predicate builder and where never took a hash, if it was always where foo.eq bar all of the time, uh, and you want to have multiple things, you do where foo.eq bar dot and bar.eq baz, and then or just kind of fits in naturally. And if we did all of that and then named scopes become super reusable and super composable because named scopes are no longer scopes per se, they would just be a, fu- a
0: method that returns a predicate. A predicate being?
1: An object that represents uh, some sort of filtering.
0: Okay, right. So the so the problem is that, like you said, we're using other methods to stand in for predicates. So like where... Or other objects. Other objects. So like where is... Re- when you stack where's, you're really getting ands.
1: Well, it's not even that. We're using a hash to stand in for the predicate. Okay. A specific type of predicate, which can only mean one thing, which means if we want other meanings, we have to do janky shit to the
0: API. Right. So the hash, if you use a hash, you are specifically talking about equality. Correct. And And then if you want to do something like greater than or equal to, you've got to use a string, which is another type you can pass to where. Right. And then if you want to use, I guess if you want to use not, you have to use one of those two forms as well. Right. Um,
1: Well, theoretically... Yeah, actually, you know what? I think where.not does work with a with a SQL string. It'll just wrap the whole thing in not open <laughs> um, Cause
0: it Because the, the not thing does actually come up in practice. Because, like, where you have an active scope and you want to have an inactive, right? Sure. It'd be nice oh, to yeah. just be, like, not active. But you have to redefine. You have to say where active equals false or whatever.
1: Exactly. And, that,
0: and that's uh, fine. Like it's Where active is a little more complicated, it might not be. It's a little more, but, like... You can see situations that are a little more complicated, but
1: and that's what I would advocate if if I were designing this API from the ground up is that it wouldn't be uh, user dot active. I mean, you could have that method, but the active wouldn't necessarily return a relation. It would return a predicate, so you'd do where dot uh, where active. Right. And you would always do dot where active, and then if you wanted to have a method that calls where for you, go right the <laughs> ahead. Uh, but like not that not being something that's built in.
0: Yeah. That seems reasonable. It's never going to happen, but it seems reasonable. (laughs) No,
1: I mean, well, yes and no, because you're right in that I can't just get rid of relation, Mm -hmm. except I'm kind of trying to get rid of relation. Like the long term plan for all of this is that relation, I think, is a really, really bad query builder. And so I want to ultimately replace it. But because I can't just get rid of it, because I don't want us to go through Rails 2.3 to Rails 3.0 again, because that was painful for everybody, and one of the biggest ones was the change uh, changes to the Finder's API. So it needs to live on basically until the end of time as a gem. But I don't want to have to maintain that gem, which, me- which means that needs low maintenance overhead, which means it needs to be built on public API. Mm-hmm. So then for that to happen, I need to create strict separation between that layer and the rest of ActiveRecord, with public API sitting between relation and the rest of ActiveRecord, so then I can ultimately just pull that out, and then we can spend a very long time experimenting with all kinds of different APIs until we decide on one that we like best as a replacement. But then relation doesn't go anywhere. Okay, that's exciting. That's the the rough plan.
0: Okay, that'll happen sometime, like Rails 5.1, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's probably a year to 18 months out from me actually being at the point where I can say, hey, relation's a gem now. Hmm. And if and we want uh, we want to see ideas for new query builder APIs. If you want to take a crack at it, here are the things you'll probably want to interface with.
0: That's even sooner than I was expecting. So good luck with that.
1: Being full time helps.
0: True. Right. So getting back to the performance thing that I was talking about. <laughs> yeah, so this sorry. is that's no, this is fine. That was interesting. So I've got to untangle all this stuff before I can even get to any of the performance work. But the other thing that's frustrating to me is like there are projects like on Upcase where. I do get to the point where I've untangled an n plus one query mess that so was actually pretty complicated. We create some views, do some crazy stuff, and we're like, boom! Now we have a reasonable amount of queries executing on this page, and our response is still pretty slow, right? And pretty slow is relative. Like it's not, it's it's just not super fast. Like we're getting four hundred milliseconds or three hundred milliseconds or something like that. It's not, you know, that's not fast anymore.
1: No, but that is acceptable
0: and then you can make that fast with caching usually. That's what I'm saying. So like then you have to go to caching. And I feel like the need to go to caching to get something like if you have anything interesting going on if you if you want to get sub 100 milliseconds or sub even sub 200 milliseconds in a lot of cases like as your server render time you need to use caching. You're not going to get it like cuz the views are slow. Yep. And like for a long time I didn't think that was a problem because there was so much like web response times were typically like two seconds three seconds so it's like that you're being dominated by terrible database queries and other stuff that you're doing right but even when you sweep all that stuff away you still end up not with a fantastic experience which is why i've been starting to look at like phoenix and elixir because i'm seeing that these things get responded get responses in like tens of milliseconds or or Mm -hmm. more right or less sorry or even better Uh, and you don't need to play these like caching games although it's possible that like I know at this point a lot of what Elixir is being used for is APIs so they're not like rendering HTML which is you know more costly than rendering a JSON response and you're nodding is this what you're gonna say as well
1: no there there's just lots of lots of points here
0: (laughs) Okay, go ahead. Like, what? Like, I'm only interested in Elixir in as much as like, first of all, I like I have taken a more functional style in a lot of my programming more late, late lately. Like, I'm using a lot of service objects that basically just do call, and those are functions. Sure. Because I'm not mutating any, hopefully not mutating anything unless there was some sort of external business concern that it already existed that so I had to like, okay, we'll mutate here because we have to. That's the, the point of this object.
1: And to and to me, that's a more compelling argument for it than like. Oh, it goes faster when you have acceptable performance. Because, like, my first question to that would be: Have you actually benchmarked time to page render, as opposed to just server response time?
0: Right. So, if so you're, you're at 200
1: saying, milliseconds, it's probably a small fraction of of the actual time until the page is visible to your user.
0: That's fair. That's fair. I have not. I'm just attracted to like, wow, we're reporting times in microseconds over here. Like, that's super fast. Yeah. Also, that's not- what I've seen of it, I like it. Like, I like the language. Like, it kind of yeah. looks a little Ruby-ish. It has functional stuff in it. It has, like, no mutation. So, I don't know. These are things I'm attracted to that I was not attracted to a year ago or two years ago. And I'm going to keep kicking the tires on it. I'm making my way through the uh, through Dave Thomas's programming Elixir book right now. There's some people here at ThoughtBot, like Josh and Blake and Paul, who are very much into Elixir, have written, like, internal tools in Elixir. Just released Ex Machina, which is the, like... factory girl version or the elixir version of factory girl um, which actually has some really cool they wrote a blog post about it but and if you look at the source has some really cool stuff going on that like things that they can take advantage of in elixir that would have been nice to be able to take advantage of in ruby but they're just language features of elixir
1: i also like the section at the bottom where it's just like also here are the api design design choices that we wish we could fix in factory girl but would be too big of a breaking change to make there but we fixed it here right
0: (laughs) Right. So anyway, I'm just really interested in it Like and the speed was a reason why I was finally like okay Like I really did optimize this page and I, I have to get to caching now because caching is wrought with errors Like you have to start thinking like the the way to do caching in rails simply is to like, oh, okay Well, I'm rendering a post here. What are all the associations to a post that I might want to render? Let's go find all the belongs to and put touch true on them right yep and like it starts to it's not just adding caching in your views it's updating your business logic and your associations and stuff to account for the fact that you want to ultimately have this cached
1: i mean i think it's more or less assumed at this point that if you're writing a belongs to you're going to put touch true on it by default
0: yeah that's interesting because i do not do that until i get to the point where i'm like okay now i want to we're doing something interesting here it's taking a decent amount of time i'd like to ca- i'd like to have cache this partial and i'm like okay, right. what do i need to do and that's probably a mistake maybe it would be less painful if i did because i'm not like i can't think of an app i've written that was constrained by write times
1: well especially now in rails 5 we batch up the touches <laughs>
0: rails 5 that nobody
1: can use <laughs> that nobody can use right but i uh, i mean that's a that's a big a big deal
0: that will ultimately execute way fewer queries so the problem now is if you have a layer, if you have multiple layers of touches, those are all going to initiate a query, which is initiate a single like update query. That's going to cause like, so if you have a post that belongs to a user and I I don't know, I'm having trouble coming up with an example, but basically Rails 5 is going to detect what needs to be done and do it in one round trip to the database. Is that what we're talking about here? Um, I'm not sure if it's one per table or one per record.
1: I know it's definitely, at, at minimum, if you have this chain of, of associations that touch each other that leads to like the same record getting touched five times in a transaction, we no longer execute five queries. And if I'm remembering correctly, I could, be, I could be remembering this wrong, but I believe we even batch up all of the records of the same class. So if you touch 18 users, I believe that executes one update statement for the users table.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that would... Like, the... The other thing so that would that's going to help a lot and I should probably start getting in the habit of doing touch true places. Like when we were working on that uh website for the custom purses thing that I've talked about here before. The data model was a total disaster, but the nice thing about it was that it wasn't really user generated content and there was a subset there was a small level of con- there was a small amount of content. So we didn't have to go through the entire data model and be like where do we have to put touch true in order to make this work? All we had to do was cache the top level stuff that we knew about and then when they up manually updated products or whatever, just flush the cache and right. then you know we, and then rewarm it with a rake task or something like that so that was nice and one of the things I discovered was like we went through a bunch of work early on to eliminate as many n plus one queries as we could, where we would like put includes where we had to put includes move nested scopes that were called from the views into preloadable associations which is a trick I've been doing quite a bit for a lot of people recently and all this other stuff but then in the end what we ended up doing was doing some fragment caching in the view. Mm-hmm. To the point where I wonder is now is having all of those includes completely unnecessary if ultimately you're going to have a warmed fragment cache for that view.
1: Yeah, cuz you still want your performance to be acceptable on a cold cache.
0: Right, but if in the in a but in a case where you're saying like I know a subset of ten pages here need to be cached, right? So I have ten products, I want the products pages to be cached. I can just warm the cache, right? I can empty the cache, hit ten pages, hit a hundred pages even.
1: I guess, but that's just like such a non-standard it situation is. to be in.
0: It is, but I don't, I don't know if it's non-standard. There's a lot of people with terribly performing apps with complex data models, right? Where they're like, okay, I can sprinkle some caching on over here. Or (laughs) I can sprinkle some includes, or I can do both, right? And if you're still paying that includes penalty when you don't need them when they're cached, right? So like if I cache based on the post instance variable, right? And my post instance variable had a bunch of includes associated to it.
1: If you, unless you're on index, unless you're on index, you would never execute the queries. And then you're right. If you are caching index, it's worth seeing how bad your performance is if you take off the includes. And and yeah for index. It is sometimes worth not you uh, like allowing an m plus one queries bug to be in there So that you um, don't have to load data that hits a warm cache
0: Like part of me would really love to see the source code for Basecamp 3 Which was just released right and look because like everybody that works on that team knows rails inside and out it's, I could presume I don't know but the people I know that work for Basecamp, obviously like David knows rails pretty well uh, you know, everybody we've talked to there, they know Rails well. So they know what they're doing from the outset. And I want to see like what a lot, I mean, and maybe not, maybe not Basecamp 3. What I'd like to see is like Basecamp 2, which has been around for a few years now. And see like, what does that look like? And how does that differ from the types of projects I see that have been around a few years? Like, is this really just like people don't, aren't aware of the way things can be done? And so they do them the the way that they know how? or is, Or are people that have... Really Good knowledge of the frameworks after a few years, also having finding themselves in these problems
1: I don't know. I think it's also just if people are a little bit cognizant of things like n plus one queries from the get go you don't run into as many of these problems and like for me, caching has always been the way to get from acceptable performance, which is like two to three hundred milliseconds to fast, which is sub hundred millisecond and I just i think it's really really hard to do stuff that gets you unless you have ridiculous amounts of traffic i think it's really hard to get to a place where your performance isn't acceptable if you're just cognizant of pretty simple stuff from the from the get-go and not just waiting until like oh crap our app takes three uh three seconds to render a page now yeah To actually be like hey maybe we should eager load some stuff <laughs>
0: Yeah, but we've talked before though like part of that is yes need to be aware of that But part of that is sometimes you don't even know like you're just calling a method You don't necessarily know that it's going off and fetching an association and iterating over that right like right We talked about this when you talked when we did the episode on the rust query builder, right? Is that you wanted to have an API that made it a lot more explicit about? performing operations that may potentially cause n plus one queries or there would be no way to, call an M plus, to cause an M plus one query because you'd have to load it up front, right? you have right. to load that associated data up front. Exactly. And things like bullet and rack, what's the mini name Mini profiler. It? Yeah, rack mini profiler. Those two things can help an awful lot. So if you're out there and you're struggling with this type of thing, bullet and rack mini profiler, the combination of the two, seem to work pretty well for me.
1: I think they should also just like, be there on day one of a project. It's not just even if you're struggling with this sort of thing. like Just always have it on.
0: Right. Yeah. And we talked Rack Mini Profiler in the Sam Saffron episode we did, episode seventeen. We talked a lot about like the use the usefulness of that tool. And it gives and just having an idea constantly going on of like what your normal performance is. So then you can see like, well, I feel like I used to see like four hundred milliseconds here and now I'm seeing one second right. regularly. Like what happened? And it's easy to kind of dismiss that when you're when you don't actually have a real number being like, oh, I guess it probably just reloaded the assets or I guess it probably just uh, did something or like, oh, "That's I, my mind is probably just misremembering it's always been like this or like whatever the case may be.
1: And that's the thing, right, is that none of these are made. It's not like all of a sudden, oh, you have to be writing all sorts of horrible code because it's more performant. It's like these are pretty small and easy things to do. And I think if more people did them on day one, you'd see less people with these issues later on because it is a lot harder also to refactor these things when when there's this tangled mess of whatever that can cause poor performance.
0: Yeah, like my my status update on this project for the last 3 weeks has been like eventually I'm going to get to some performance work, <laughs> but I'm just untangling untangling that base controller. Like that's what I'm doing. And it's going to be that way for a while unfortunately. Yeah trying to get into that habit earlier and every change i've made like for that has been a performance improvement has also been a readability improvement as far as i can tell like right. in my own opinion that is and in the, in the opinion of the people reviewing the code i believe they agree or they're not telling me they disagree um, <laughs> if you're listening and you disagree please let me know <laughs> in three weeks <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um so yeah i'm still going to check out elixir you make yeah, some good no, points that, like, in the context of rendering a web application, if you're doing, like, you know, you're going to render HTML and show and load JavaScript and everything like that, the server side response time of 100 milliseconds versus, or, or the server side response time of 200 milliseconds versus, you know, 50 milliseconds, or I don't know what actually a reasonable, what a, you know, a fast response 50 is.
1: 50 to 100 is quote unquote fast, usually.
0: Okay. For Elixir or for?
1: or whatever okay. so that, that, that was the other thing i was going to mention earlier too that i've seen in every like newer language when there's a web framework and they're showing like how fast they are they show a benchmark of how fast they respond with hello world right sure it's like oh look if you just pass a string literal we skip all of the work that you're going to actually do in a real application so it's really fast and it's like yeah if you do render text hello world in rails it's going to be a little bit slower because we're not skipping the work that we would normally do for rendering a view because you're not rendering hello world
0: right that's fair um i mean i'm sure there are people who are very into elixir that are listening to the show and saying that we're getting all sorts of stuff wrong and misrepresenting something or whatever Oh, i'm sure no i'm
1: not saying that elixir isn't faster i'm just saying that (laughs) i hate i hate web servers doing hello world benchmarks i've seen a bunch (laughs) of them do it lately
0: um but I think we'll start talking more about Elixir because I' am definitely interested in it, and it's one of those things again, we talked about this on few, on earlier episodes that we are seeing traction in in both internally and in work, so cool, probably get to use it more unlike, yeah. unlike Rust, where I keep having to look for a reason to kick the tires a little more, but
1: yeah well that's the that's the thing that Elixir's got the head start on us is a pretty solid, well-established web framework.
0: Right, solid, well-established web framework and tools that if you are a Ruby developer are going to be familiar to you. Like Mix is going to be familiar to you. Sure. Um, well, Cargo will be familiar to you coming from Ruby. Right, that's true. Anyway, but a lot of other you, languages that you might consider don't have that type of story, right? Cough, cough, Haskell, cough, cough.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it'll, it'll get there. Like, like I said, right, that's why we're sort of working on that web framework is to have Rust be usable. And, you know, that, that gives you the excuse you need to get to kick the tires on it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was talking to Harry a little bit about that, who works here, and he's been liking like the Rust talk that we do on the show. And I mentioned that like, oh, they are actually looking at building like a query builder and a and a web framework. And he was like, no, <laughs> he's like, don't sully, don't make me write web apps in it. I'm interested in it. as, like a language. The minute you can like make me write web apps in it, like that's what I have to do now. Right? I have to write web apps in this thing. Um, which is right, interesting. But the important
1: thing is that it feels like Rust <laughs> and not feels like
0: Rails. Sure. Not that there's necessarily anything. Like, I still really enjoy writing Rails for the most part. I really enjoy writing Ruby, I will say. And Rails is usually fine for that. (laughs) Rails is really enjoyable the first couple of months into a project. And I think it would be really enjoyable. Like, we worked on that T1D project for eight months, and that was a really enjoyable eight months. And, you know, I just published a blog article where I talked to Daniel about his experience with that project and it's been really good for him right so i think it is just a matter of like staying on top of things and i think it can t- can continue to be totally enjoyable
1: wait so well developed software is more enjoyable to work on <laughs> it's, i know it's
0: crazy i know it's really crazy but
1: <laughs> i'm fr- i'm pretty sure this is only true in ruby
0: also like just i really i really i haven't found anything that i enjoy writing as much as i enjoy writing ruby And Elixir kind of strikes me in that same way, that it's familiar in that way, I would say.
1: I think it's where a lot of people are at, too, in terms of like, Ruby's really enjoyable, but there's this or that gripe with it in terms of stylistic, in which case Elixir is there. Or a lot of people are also like, I really enjoy Ruby, but I wish it were a little bit faster. And so now you've got Crystal coming out to fill that void. Mm
0: -hmm. Yes. (laughs) Performance. How do I performance? (laughs) Yeah.
1: Anyway, I do think we're going to start to see more and more startups switching away from Rails because Rails isn't new or hot or cool anymore. Not, n- that's not to say that Rails is on a downturn at all. I just think you're going to start to see it more. It's becoming a stable platform, right? So you're going to see a lot more. Enterprise isn't the right word, but for lack of a better word, enterprise, I think, start looking at Rails as opposed to startups.
0: Right. Shopify, is, is, a, Shopify is a public company, right? Yes. <laughs> like They're Rails all the way through
1: shopify now qualifies as enterprise right
0: <laughs> um and like you know we're going into bigger and bigger companies to help them with rails projects so that's a sign of like a maturing language which isn't a bad thing um yeah, right no
1: i mean i just spent a week out in redmond talking to microsoft about rails <laughs> i mean that's about as enterprise as it gets
0: right and i don't think it's necessarily a bad thing that enterprises are doing this thing like i i do wonder like with everything, I think, what is the new thing you think startups are building? Is it Node, Node apps? Is that what you think they're on to? I feel, I feel like I am like the old man, right? Like I'm 35, which makes me old for the industry full of startup developers, I feel like. Like I feel like I'm, I'm like, what are the kids using these days anyway for programming languages? I felt so cool five years ago doing Ruby, and now it's like, oh, we're, we're on to Go or we're on to Node or whatever the case may be.
1: I mean, if you go into a random co-working space... I think what you'll see is about 30% rails, about 30% node, about 10% go, maybe a little less than 10%. And then and and I'm only including web apps, not not mobile developers. And then the rest will be some mix of PHP and .net. Right. I think that's like subjectively the the balance I see right now. I don't think node's going to be the thing that that quite sticks like rails did. Um I don't know what the I, I don't think we've seen the thing that will
0: stick yet. Right. Yeah. And that's even just on the scale of, like, working into a co-working place. Like, on the broader scale, everybody's still writing Java, man. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. I, again, I'm <laughs> like only Anybody not startups. writing Java is just a drop in the bucket. <laughs> yeah, I'm just talking about startups. Startups ain't doing much Java. It is. Like, I love when we talk about, like, remember when everybody did Java? I'm like, everybody's still doing Java like like from the context from the context of java looking out at everybody else we're just like a bunch of little shits running around biting at their heels like c plus plus too yeah that too right
1: and python actually is way huger than ruby is in the in the general market although a lot of that's just because google
0: Hmm. interesting uh okay i don't know (laughs) i didn't solve anything i'm gonna continue looking at elixir Cool. I'm going to continue unwinding the stack of uh, before filters and shared global state uh, and then eventually get to some performance work.
1: For what it's worth, one of the biggest things, that there's a lot of things that make Vue slow, but one of the biggest ones is just we could do a better job at precompiling them. And Mm -hmm. that's tricky for a lot of reasons, but Aaron just gave a talk at RailsConf about how we potentially could see a really, really huge performance win, like an order of magnitude performance win on, on that side of the stack, so... It's getting better. It gets better every version. Yep.
0: And people working full time on it will certainly help. So (laughs) keep on doing that. Keep on hiring people, Shopify. (laughs) 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 Thanks, Shopify.
1: Yeah. That's, um, a, that's sort of how how I how I introduce myself at at when I give talks now is I am Sean Griffin, I work at Shopify. They pay me to do uh to do rails full time. So you should give them money so that they can continue to <laughs> to let me do that.
0: <laughs> right. Anyway. Okay. I don't know. Cool. I don't know if we, we we didn't solve anything. Uh if I have one takeaway for people it's to not set up instance state in before filters. Yeah. Just do it right in your action. Save I mean, like
1: an instance variable in a controller is effectively a global variable,
0: right? And that's what I've been trying to get across in code reviews. Is like this is global, this is shared global state now because you like an instance variable is usually encapsulation, but in the case of a controller, it is not because those are explicitly copied over to the view and then, of course, made available to partials and helpers and basically everything.
1: Right, and that function is main. Like, you're setting you're setting a variable in main that is vis- that is visible from other functions, right? Like, mm-hmm. that is, by definition, a global variable. Right.
0: So stay away from as few instant variables as possible, or you do the thing like Sean does, which is, like, uh, memoized controller helper methods everywhere. Although that's also just global state.
1: <laughs> yeah. It, well, it's a global function, at least. Yeah.
0: And anyway. uh, don't use instance variables in your helpers or in your partials. Yes. Okay.
1: Cool. Well... I guess I'll have to learn Elixir. <laughs> yeah,
0: you'll have to find a job that can work you to uh, pay you to work on uh, Phoenix full-time. <laughs> Show notes for this episode can be found at bikeshed.fm slash 41.
1: As always, ratings and reviews on iTunes are much appreciated. Rails is only getting 1% faster, by the way. You all failed.
0: That's right. You got to leave us more five star reviews, and Rails will make it. Uh, Sean will make Rails one percent faster for each of those.
1: Oh wait, no, no. That's right. I'm supposed to. Uh, uh, if if we get if we do not get f- uh, five five star reviews between now and the next episode, I will make Rails ten percent slower.
0: We're holding the performance of Rails hostage. <laughs> uh, if you have feedback on this episode or any other episode, you can tweet us at underscore bike shed, email us at hosts at bike shed.fm, or leave feedback on the website.
1: As always, thanks for listening to the bike shed, and we'll see you next time. <laughs> okay.